I hope I'm one of many who bring you greetings today at Christ's Journey. Let me add to that. My name is Ryan. I want to welcome you today to Christ's Journey. All of those joining us online, great to be with you. Thanks for welcoming us in. Everybody in the house, good to see everybody in the house today. Good to be with you. And I greet all of you today with the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, which says this, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken, amen? We thank God for the community and the fellowship that we share together here in this place, at this church, including all of those who join us online. Great to be with you. The tighter our bonds of relationship become with God and with one another, then the stronger we stand to overcome. That is our hope, that is our faith, and that is our prayer. Any Palmetto Panthers in here? Palmetto Panthers, anybody? Anybody? Wow. One, two, okay. I was expecting more than that. In 2014, a Palmetto Panther alum, Vivek Murthy, became the 19th Surgeon General of the United States. And shortly after he started his time as a Surgeon General, within weeks, he organized a listening tour around the country and discovered, after talking with thousands, tens of thousands of people from every background, every demographic, every age, he diagnosed as the Surgeon General that our nation faces an epidemic of loneliness. Loneliness, which over the past couple of years has only become heightened through the COVID isolation, right? Loneliness, we face that as a nation. Dr. Murthy said this, when I began my time as Surgeon General, I started to recognize that many of the stories that I was hearing from people in small towns and big cities all across America were stories about addiction, about violence, about depression and anxiety. But behind those stories were threads of loneliness, which God said is not good. In fact, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, as God surveyed his creation and said, this is good, and this is good, and this is good, when, Adam, when God saw Adam, God said this, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make his helper suitable for him. The only thing that God said not good in the Garden of Delight, to give Adam the same joy and fulfillment that God finds when with himself, within himself, as the triune God, one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and as one God in three persons, God enjoys perfect completion and perfect wholeness and perfect love all within himself. It's a profound mystery, but one that God invites us to experience with him nonetheless through the final brushstroke of creation with shared love and shared friendship. In Genesis chapters one and two, most people who comment on these two chapters call humanity the crown jewel of creation because God formed us in his image, breathed life into us, gave us the garden to rule over dominion alongside of God. Yet, the enemy to creation was the risk of isolation the enemy of God's heart and shared love and shared friendship. This, this leads me to think that 
the crown jewel of creation, perhaps, isn't us, isn't you and me, but what God invites us to experience with him in shared love and shared friendship. In fact, the result of sin in the garden and the shame that Adam and Eve felt for their disobedience ultimately paved the way for the sin consequences of division and distortion and dissociation between others, between God and even among ourselves, which all goes to war with God's desire for every single one of us, which is shared love and shared friendship, the shared love that we experience with one another, with God, the shared friendship that we experience in the fellowship that we call the church together. In the Revelation, the final vision of the holy city represents the restoration of life back to this framing center where there will be no more division, no more divides between God and his created humanity, but instead we will all enjoy the true essence of God's heart, the final brushstroke of creation, shared love, shared friendship, and the difference maker between what sin destroyed and life together forever is Jesus. Jesus as king and servant Messiah who moved to the people for the people to remove the barriers and to reconcile us, to reconcile what sin broke so that we might enjoy the true essence of God's heart together. What an amazing experience. What an amazing vision for us to move toward with our lives and for us to taste here and now as we gather together, as we build friendship together. As we do that, we actually taste the pinnacle and what I believe is the crown jewel of creation. <laughs> Share love shared love. Jesus put it like this in his final prayer before he went to the cross. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Our purpose is unity. And as we take steps in unity together in shared relationship, not just in agreeing on things, we can disagree without dishonoring and remaining in friendship together. And as we proclaim that witness, we actually testify to the one who came to save us. And so our purpose is unity and our unity points up. It points up to Jesus. So here's a question for you to consider. What if you saw your friendships and the shared love of your family as your life's mission field. What if you started there first? Started with those who are naturally within your sphere of influence, who live under your roof, who are your extended family. What if we saw that as our first place of unity and friendship so that we could bear witness to them what the Lord is doing right in here? Because friendships, I believe, can make an eternal difference. They did for one paralyzed man. In our current series, Movement, we are studying select passages through Mark's gospel together. And last week, we studied the entire first chapter of Mark's gospel. But this week, I want to hone in on 12 verses. Just 12 verses, one story in the beginning of Mark chapter 2. And in these 12 verses, we're going to see how four friends changed one man's eternity forever. Beginning in verse 1. Follow along with me in the beginning of Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, 
not even outside the door. And he, meaning Jesus, preached the word to them. Everyone gathered. News about Jesus went viral across the land. Thousands upon thousands flocked to Jesus during his three years of ministry. Wanting healing, wanting teaching. Some wanted to condemn him. But thousands flocked to him. Mark continues, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof right above Jesus, digging through it and then lowered the mat the, mat the man was lying on right to the feet of Jesus. This is one of those passages when you stop and read it. You need to imagine the scene to get the full essence of why Mark wrote this right after he wrote that magnificent first chapter in his gospel. I mean, just imagine this for a moment. Imagine yourself sitting a few rows back from Jesus when all of a sudden you hear some chipping start happening in the roof near you. You know, there's some chipping sounds and you're starting to think, wow, well, what might that be? Did, did he schedule the roofer to come, you know, while Jesus was hanging out with us on this particular day, but the roof, the, you, hear, you hear some chipping, you, hear some, you see some dust starting to fall, some chunks starting to fall down right on people's heads. You maybe see a, uh, so the first beginnings of light start to pierce through, illuminating people starting to climb over each other for fear of more chunks falling on top of them. Maybe your eyes scan over to Jesus and you're starting to wonder, wow, what might Jesus be thinking of in this moment? Maybe you see Jesus not scared, but maybe he seems curious. He's thinking to himself, wow, what might be happening right now? Maybe Jesus seems to even be enjoying the moment. Maybe you look around and you find the homeowner standing off to the side, you know, holding his, putting his hands upon his head, thinking, what, how am I going to pay for this? What's happening? I mean, this, then you hear male voices up on the roof. And then a mat squeezed through with someone who looks like they might be paralyzed. And that that man goes all the way to the feet of Jesus. What a scene. I mean, just imagine the scene. I want to encourage you from time to time as you come to moments like this, this is only four short verses in the first, you know, in the opening of the second chapter of Mark. When you come to scenes like this, I want to encourage you to slow down a little bit and use your imagination and ask questions of the text to help you better understand what might the Lord want me to know about this particular passage? How might the Lord be forming me in this passage? Because in these four short verses, Mark captures the transformational essence of friendship, a friendship on the move, first through determination. These four friends literally did not let a single obstacle stop them from bringing their friend to Jesus. They didn't know what Jesus might or might not do. They couldn't be sure, but they were determined to at least get their friend to Jesus's feet and not stop at anything to do that. They showed grit and risked great consequence to help their friend. What would you be willing to risk to help bring your friends to the feet of Jesus? Have you ever thought about that question? What, what might I be willing to risk to see this person coming to my mind right now, come to the feet of Jesus. 
Second, these men showed their friendship through care. They quite literally placed everything on the, on the line, their finances, their reputation, to do the absurd, <laughs> to cut a hole in a roof. Who does that? Who, who would do such a thing to risk the absurd, to bring their friend to Jesus, their actions demonstrated a single-minded focus to care for their friend by overcoming every obstacle in their way. How might the Lord be calling you to overcome some obstacles? Maybe not every obstacle, maybe one obstacle to bring a friend in need to the feet of Jesus. How might the Lord be leading you to take a risk, to risk the absurd, to risk a norm that we hold dear in our society to bring a friend to Jesus. Third, these men showed their friendship through faith, simple faith. Man, these men didn't know what you and I know about Jesus. They knew a few key things. They probably knew about Jesus from word of mouth. They probably knew that he healed people on occasion which is why they brought their friend who were willing to do anything to bring their friend to Jesus. They probably knew that maybe some said that he was the son of God. But aside from that, they didn't know a whole lot. This was still early in Jesus's ministry. We only know what Jesus did up until that point in Mark chapter one. They knew only a couple of key facts and those facts were enough. They were enough to compel them to do something extraordinary. We know a lot more about Jesus now than those guys did. We know about Jesus' crucifixion. We know why Jesus died for us. We know about Jesus' resurrection. We know about Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1. We have all of Paul's letters. We have the glorious letter of Revelation. We have so much but it doesn't take a lot of knowledge to simply do what these guys did. It takes just a couple, of, a couple of key truths about Jesus, that he heals when people come to him, that he forgives, and that he is the embodiment of the Son of God. That's all we need to know. Everything else just gives us motivation and rounds out the definitions behind those key claims. But if that's all you have, then that's enough. You don't need, you don't even need the whole Bible or have read the whole Bible. All you need to know about Jesus is that he's for you and made a way for you in order to help make a way for somebody else. What bold risk might the Lord be leading you to take is it, is it really that bold of a risk to call someone up? Maybe someone's coming to your mind right now. Would it, be, would it be a bold risk for you to call up that person who might be coming to mind for you right now or send them a text or her a text after the experience ends and just says, hey, you know what? Man, you came to mind today. We talked about friendship and you came to my mind today. And I want you to know that I, I care about Jesus a lot and he matters a lot to me. What do you think about Jesus, I'd like, I'd like to know what you think about him. Would that be a bold risk for you? Would it be a bold risk for you if someone says, asks you a question and you can't answer it, just for you to simply say, you know what, that's a great question. I can't answer it either. It's a question that I've been wondering about for a long time. Would you be open to learning with me? 
Would it be a bold risk for you to share your 15-second story? This is something that we've been talking about for about a year now. My 15-second story simply goes like this. There was a time in my life when I felt alone and without purpose. But then I learned about Jesus and invited him to take the lead of my life. And now I feel like I, I have a sense of fulfillment and I, I have a pathway for my life. Do you have a story like that? It's simple. It's 15 seconds. I, I want to help us take a step in our thought process about this to say that these aren't bold risks, but these are small steps that we can take together as a community, as a fellowship, to live in the rhythm and the movement of Jesus. They, they might feel like hard risks if we don't engage them very often. I know they certainly do for me if I get out of sync and, and I go for a while without engaging in this, in this part of my faith. But I also feel like it's a bold risk when the enemy starts whispering lies to me and saying, oh my gosh, Ryan, like, how could you possibly want to talk about that when, when you're dealing with this right now? Don't you feel that too? Like the whispers of the enemy that say, how could you possibly think that you're worthy enough to talk about anything with your faith when you've got this other thing happening in your life? What I want to contend today is the only qualification you need is your trust in Jesus, and then he takes over the rest. He fills us with his spirit and makes us worthy. None of us are worthy, but with Jesus living inside of me, with his redemption made possible for me, absolutely, I'm worthy because Jesus is worthy. I believe these are small steps that we can take, and as we do, Jesus might begin to nudge us to live a life full of adventure and that surpasses our imagination and expectation. Fourth, these men showed their friendship through love. For any person living in the first century, but especially a man, living paralyzed meant doom. This man wouldn't have been able to work or provide for himself or his family, more than likely. And unless this man hailed from a wealthy family, which it appears he didn't, then he was left to beg. And what that meant in the first century was begging in the most visible, in the most vulnerable, and the most victimized areas of the city. That was this man's fate. But it seems that these four men loved this man enough to say, that may happen with others, and we can't save everybody, but not this guy. That won't happen to this brother, to this friend. Because we love him too much to leave him isolated by himself by the city gates while his family goes destitute because they don't have any provision. So not this guy. We're going to rally around him and we're going to make sure that he has everything he needs for life. That's what love does. Love moves toward people. Love finds a way to help people find new life. So who might the Lord be calling you to help find a way to experience new life? And fifth, I believe this moment of friendship expresses the essence of brotherhood for the gentleman in the room. As a man, as I, as I read this passage, preparing to share this with you, I couldn't help but to see brotherhood, the essence of brotherhood happen. 
in this passage, since four men brought this man to Jesus, not his family members, I wonder perhaps, if I, if I use my imagination, perhaps if these four guys knew this man before he became paralyzed. Because why else would these four guys risk so much for a man they didn't know? Brotherhood. Maybe they all lived in the same village together. Maybe they all ate the Shabbat meal together, walked to synagogue together. Maybe they coached youth soccer together. Maybe they all worked as carpenters together. And one time on the job, one of the guys fell and broke his back and ended up paralyzed. So these guys scooped him up, and they brought him home, and they said, we're going to do whatever it takes to help our brother. Maybe the wives of these guys all banded together to help his wife take care of the chores, make sure that food got on the table for the kids. Maybe they would go to his house every couple of days or so just to cheer him up, talk about the day. Hey, you know what happened today? This happened today. Oh, can you believe that happened today? Just to share some brotherhood and friendship. And then when they heard about Jesus coming to town, those four guys, they met up around the job site and said, listen, we... We heard about this guy, Jesus, coming to town. We heard that he, he heals people. And so we're going to do everything we can to bring him to the feet of Jesus, maybe hoping that he might heal our brother too. Let's do it. Let's go for it. We're rallying up, all hands in. We're moving forward together. I mean, I got I to gotta wonder if that's how that happened. If that's how this, this moment came to pass, and I'll admit this too, as I thought about this, my, my eyes welled up with tears on a couple of occasions just imagining that because it brought back memories in my own life of when my closest friends, my brothers, scooped me up and said, not Ryan, not Ryan. We're not going to let him face this alone. His problem is our opportunity, and we're going to take him to the feet of Jesus. I remember moments in my life when I scooped others up, and I said, not my brother. His problem is my opportunity, and we're going to walk together. Yeah, it's really inconveniencing to do that, and it changes plans. But man, I'm not going to leave my brothers behind because they didn't leave me behind. Brotherhood made a way for these guys to get their friend in range. Brotherhood, brotherhood got these men in range. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, hey, man, Pastor Ryan, that's really good for you. That's good for you. I'm glad you have some good friends like that, but I don't have that. And so I don't know necessarily what to do. Well, if you're thinking that, because there have been times in my life when I thought the same thing, if that thought came to your mind, then please hear me say with all love and respect, yes, you do. You do have those people with you. Look around. <laughs> look around this church. Look, look around at everyone seated here with you. This is Jesus's body alive and active in this world through each and every single one of us because Jesus is alive in our lives. And when two or more gather in his name, there he is. He's right here in our midst. So if you feel alone or isolated, a question I might want to ask you is what steps have you taken to become 
to make a new friend and be a good friend to someone else? What would that look like for you? Have you joined a group? Have you taken steps to get involved? Do you hang out after the worship experience and pal around, especially after the coffee just launched a couple of weeks ago? Amen. Amen to the coffee. Let's raise our cups high for the coffee. Thank you, Lord, for caffeine on a Sunday morning. Or do you come in late and leave early? Because friendship and community doesn't just magically happen if you show up to a place. It's like a, it's like a bread that takes time to rise and bake. How might the Lord be calling you to make a friend and be a friend? How might the Lord be calling you to make a friend and be a friend? Let's own our thoughts and actions and make them obedient to Jesus. You're not a victim. You are redeemed. And you have been reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation. You're full of life. You're full of hope. You're full of wonder. And you're full of the greatest gift that God gave to us in the final breaststroke of creation, which is share friendship and share love. Let's move together as the body of Christ towards share friendship. Because why? Friends bring friends to Jesus. Friends bring friends to Jesus. On a rare occasion, someone might come to Jesus through other means, but on so many occasions, the stories that I hear and the stories that you hear are when friends bring friends to Jesus. No excuses. With every tear, these guys made into the roof, dust falling, chunks collapsing, a hole opening, a man lowering, Jesus smiling, wiping the debris from his, from his eyes and from his brow. Four men showed their love and brotherhood to a friend in need. Love and action, friends bring friends to Jesus. In fact, if you don't mind, let's repeat that together. I'll say it, let's repeat that together. Friends bring friends to Jesus. Amen. Amen, let that soak in. Let that soak in. After the man lowered their friend down, Mark writes this, when Jesus saw their faith, their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Notice that in this verse, Mark says, their faith, plural. The faith of the four helped bring transformation to the one. Friends, we can't make someone believe in Jesus. That's not a power that you and I have the ability to do. But whenever we share Jesus with a friend, whenever we speak words of life and blessing over somebody, though we can't lead them to believe in Jesus, we speak a truth over them that we hope and pray won't return void but hope brings them one step closer to experiencing and placing their trust in the one who gives life and life to the full. Mark continues in verse six. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're exactly right. <laughs> they're exactly right. Only God is able to forgive sins. In fact, the book of Leviticus, chapters 4, 5, 16, and 17, all outline the process for how one comes to a place of repentance, finds restitution, offers a sacrifice within the priestly system, and so forth and so on, to receive the forgiveness of sins. But according to how Mark describes the scene, none of that happened, did it? None of that happened. Instead, what happened was five men came to Jesus. And these five men were surprised by what Jesus said because when they lowered, when, when the paralyzed man came to the feet of Jesus, what do you think they were expecting to receive or hoping to receive? 
healing. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That surprised everybody. It surprised the teachers of the law because they just witnessed Jesus say something that only God has the authority to do. Forgive sins. So in five words, Jesus surprised everybody in that room. <laughs> he surprised the paralyzed man, the four friends, the teachers of the law, everyone in that room, and they all thought to themselves, if this is true, if, if Jesus can indeed do this, then is he, is he really the Messiah? Is he really the king and servant Messiah that we've been waiting for, for hundreds of years to save us and rescue us? Well, Mark writes this, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Which is easier to do, make a theological pronouncement or give a man his legs back? And so Jesus said this, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And then at once the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the sun onlookers. And you can imagine, if you're sitting a few rows back from Jesus, how amazed you must have been to witness that. For everyone started exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Because Jesus did what he said he could do. And the healed man proved Jesus' authority to forgive sins on this earth, not by any good deed done, but through the free gift of God's salvation. And that forgiveness now extends to everybody, everybody because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Mark opened the first chapter by showing the heart and character of Jesus' of movement, and then in the second chapter, showed the movement of those who believe it who put their trust in it. If you believe in Jesus, then let's move. Let's move and live like never before. Why do friends bring friends to Jesus? Because people are dying. Because lives are in the balance. Families are on the brink. And eternity's at stake for everyone. And so friends bring friends to Jesus so that in the midst of this life, we find life now forever. My aim in this message for all of us today is for us to feel the weight and the urgency of this. To not, to not leave today without feeling like I need to I need to put some thought into this. Like I need to let God maybe do a fresh work in me to experience the fullness of my faith come alive here and now through helping my friends come to Jesus. You may remember this viral video from a few years ago about two brothers who competed in an elite marathon together. What happened at the finish line stunned the world. Take a look. And to be sure of taking the title. And right now he seems to have lost control of his legs. And this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow. And there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing. He's losing his 
sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownie brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. And they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third. But Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me. What an incredible conclusion here in Cozumel. I've never seen anything like that anywhere in world sports. Worrying scenes all around. What a scene. Did you hear what the female commentator said? I don't think this, I don't think this is allowed. I, we've got to look at the rule book to see if this has never happened before. We need to consult the rule book. Did, the, did those four guys consult the rule book about opening a hole in someone's roof <laughs> that didn't belong to them? What we witnessed there was a brother who was willing to risk and let go of the championship for the love of his brother. Because at the end, championships fade, but love remains. In fact, love will be the only thing that remains in the end. The only thing. What do we need to risk to help a friend get to the finish line? We let Jesus take over from there. But what do we need to risk? To bring our friends to the finish line, love risks the absurd. Love overcomes every obstacle. Friendships can make an eternal impact because friends bring friends to Jesus. Who are your seven? We've been working through this card over the last eight days. Who are your seven? We have two weeks until we fill this place on Easter Sunday. And so we're making our aim over these next two weeks to help some friends get to the finish line. So who are your seven? Let's bring our friends to Jesus and let's watch eternity leave its mark here and now on every single person that we pick up along the way. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for going all the way to the cross for us, for risking the absurd by leaving heaven to find us on earth and to go to a criminal's cross 
to offer your life as a sacrifice for ours to die our death so that we might live with you forever. Lord, you risk the absurd because you love us. You didn't follow the rule book to save us because you love us and you made a way home for us. And so Lord, as followers in your way, give us the courage and strength to keep taking steps with you. When we hear the whispers that say, I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy enough, Lord, help us silence those voices so that we can take a risk to help others cross the finish line too. Lord, we love you, we need you, and we're inviting you to do a fresh work in our lives as we make this prayer in your name. For those of you today who are thinking to yourselves, before I can help others move, I need to get on the move myself, and I want today to be my first day of moving with Jesus. I wanna give my life to Jesus here and now. Then would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, today, I'm on your team. I'm laying it down. I'm laying my life down. I'm receiving the forgiveness of your sins. I'm turning from my way to your way, and I'm on the journey with you. You are my Lord and Savior. You are my King. And so, Lord, help me when I fall short. Help me find my place in this community. And, Lord, help my spirit come alive as you place your heart in me. Make this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. If you prayed this prayer with me and you want today to be your first day on the move with Jesus, then would you just simply raise your hand just so I can say a blessing for you? Lord, we pray as a church that you would help us move, keep moving forward with you. Lord, we wanna be a church on fire for you. And over these next couple of weeks, keep our eyes focused on these seven. Help us create some opportunities and make a way. In the same way that you did for us, we make this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.